Um, I'm going to be talking this morning about anxiety. Um, as we're jumping into a topic about anxiety, um, I want to be able to be the first to say that this is going to be one of the most hypocritical lessons there are, um, just because this is something that I struggle with um, quite a bit. Um, but I think with this struggle, um, there's a lot to learn and there's a lot of, of growth that needs to happen to be able to handle anxiety in a proper way. Um, a definition, if you look up anxiety, is an in intense or excessive and persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. And probably my, my favorite definition uh, is to be pulled in different directions. Um, this word is a constant struggle of every Christian who seriously is trying to follow God. Every decision that we make every day uh, pulls us between what we want and what God wants from us. And how far are we willing to go with what God wants? Um, so with this topic, um, we're going to be diving into the book of Philippians chapter 4. Um, When I first became a Christian, um, I was encouraged to take a, a book of the Bible and become obsessed with it. And just like really, uh, I think the, the term they used was to adopt it. Um, where basically you just read it over and over and over again. Um, you, you pick apart every verse and you dive into it as much and as thoroughly as you possibly can. And so I did that with the book of Philippians. Um, so the Fli book of Philippians um, has become a, a very rich and, and personal um, help to me. And so uh, I, I've been talking about the book of Philippians in, in several different um, sermons, and so we've come to uh, chapter 4. Um, and something that I'm wanting to pull out of this chapter is the, the struggle um, of anxiety. And so if you look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, the very first word is, is therefore. And whenever you come across a therefore, you have to find out what it's there for. And so I want to look back a few verses in chapter 3, verse 20. It says, For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also, we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Um... Heaven is the goal for every Christian. Every Christian needs to be invested and, 
and longing for and in, in pain until they're able to achieve this goal of heaven. It is something that needs to consume every Christian and it needs to be something that consumes us daily. That we are constantly wanting heaven and we are longing for heaven and until heaven uh, comes, we need to be hurting a little bit. We need to be longing for it and it is a goal that must be achieved at whatever cost necessary. Um, and that's hard. So something that I wanted to look at in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So the first thing I want to look at is these two main contrasts in this. Anxiety and peace. Um, so in verse 6 and 7, these, these two traits, I want us to be able to see how they are at war with each other. They are complete and opposite uh, contrast. And they are strongly opposed to each other. So you look at anxiety. Something that I'm wanting to bring out with anxiety is that it's real. Um, we all see it. We feel it. We understand it. Um, anxiety is a part of every Christian's life, as I've said before. Um, it takes over our minds and our hearts. And something that I'm wanting to bring out is that it's deadly. I think a lot of times we have anxiety and we have this pressing uh, stress in our lives and we're kind of trying to to just kind of live with that. But something that I want to point out is the, the lethalness of anxiety. It is anxiety that is described as a parasitic thorn in the parable of the sower. In Mark chapter 4, it says, And others are the ones whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones you have heard who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it became unfruitful. So it's this anxiety that is described as something that is tearing someone away from the faith, away from the, the word and allowing this word to grow in our lives. It is this, this worries of the world that caused uh, Martha to be so busy cleaning and serving food that she forgets to listen to the word of God when Jesus was among them teaching. It is the deceitfulness of riches that causes a rich young ruler to put his, his faith and security in money and possessions and allow them to lead his life away 
instead of trusting in true security and life. It is the the deceitfulness of riches that caused Judas to betray Jesus. It is the desires for other things that cause people to abandon their obedience to God, to pursue their own lusts and dreams of selfishness, to live for only self. These things choke out the word and leave it dormant where it should grow and it should flourish. Anxiety is a serious issue. The other thing that I want to see here is peace. Uh, Now, peace just literally means without war or without conflict. And so that sounds like a pretty, pretty opposite word of anxiety. Um, this peace is a byproduct, which means that it comes because of something else. The alternative of anxiety, as we read in Philippians chapter 4, is prayer. It is prayer with supplication, with a, a fervent request, almost a begging connotation, Um, and thanksgiving. And I want to be able to dwell on on this prayer for a second, be able to think about a prayer that you are praying because of the pressing anxiety and stress around you that's pulling you in different directions. And you're praying for God to lift up that anxiety, but you're doing it with thankfulness. If you're thankful while praying about anxiety you are going to focus on what you have rather than what you don't have. And that prayer is going to bring you to humility. Because when you realize what God has done for you, you realize the root of your anxiety is your own wandering mind and greedy heart. And most importantly, it's going to provoke change. Prayer must provoke change. In the model prayer where he says, your will on earth as it is in heaven. The purpose of prayer is not to have our will done on earth or done in heaven, but God's will be done on earth. And the first thing on earth is ourselves. When you are praying for God's will to be done, you are saying, God's will be done in my life. It is a very personal beginning. It's going to make you realize you are focused on the wrong things. Which brings me to verse 8. It says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Devote yourself to these things. Ponder these things. And then God has this, this title that's mentioned twice here. The, the, the peace of God and the God of peace. Um, peace isn't something that, that God gives. It's something that God is. So when we're unified with God, the peace is the byproduct of that. Because we're able to, to focus on him instead of our our selfish and wandering uh, heart and mind. It brings peace 
to our chaotic uh, and divided lives. So something that I want to realize in prayer is that it's much more than going to God in prayer and then taking off this anxiety and stress and putting it on God so you don't have to hold anything. Prayer is taking off the anxiety and the selfish uh, thoughts that are clouding our minds and then focusing and redirecting that attention towards these higher things. And then I love what it says here. That the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The two things that, that get into our, our, our lives and that cloud us in our hearts and our minds, anxiety. Um, and it's the peace of God that is able to not only take that away, but protect it. Because the anxiety that it's talking about here is something that divides us and pulls us away from the will of God. I want to bring up now that we've, we've hit some of this, this main meat in, in, in chapter 4. Um, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Verse 4, 5, and 6 all go together. And so I want to break these down a little bit. Um, rejoice in the Lord. Something that may be difficult for us to be able to, to see in this verse, but this is actually a command. This is something that Paul is telling the Philippians to do. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Um, the fact that it is a command is very important. Throughout this letter, Paul has very openly spoken many times of a lot of his conflicts, his, his sorrows, his weeping, um, his fasting. This has been a very difficult letter. When Paul's writing this letter, he's in prison in Rome under house arrest. But something about this letter is that the book of Philippians isn't known as the book of weeping, the book of lamentations, the book of sorrow. It's most commonly known as the book of joy. And I think that's very fitting. Because what we see in the, in the letter to the Philippians is constant Joy that is not dependent on external circumstances. It's not dependent on what's happening around him. This joy is a choice and a lifestyle. I want us to be able to acknowledge that. That joy does not depend on what is happening. That's called happiness because it's happening. Joy is a decision and a lifestyle. Um, it is this joy that is fixed on something else, outside of our immediate circumstances, and that's why this apostle 
who, whenever I read Philippians, I love to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, uh, starting in verse 24, because it just lists off all of these trials that Paul's gone through. You know, this many times have been stoned, this many times have been shipwrecked, this many times have been beaten with rods, this many times have been, and, and ex- so on and so forth. And he's just been through a lot. I just imagine if you see Paul, he'd be this older man with just scars all over him because he had just been through so much. And he's currently in prison in Rome under house arrest, waiting to be tried and soon to be executed in a few years. But this apostle writes in a letter encouraging the Philippians to rejoice in everything. Again, rejoice. In four chapters, he manages to mention and bring up joy almost 20 times. It is a decision that is outside of circumstance. Now something else with this anxiety in, in verse 5, it says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. Now I want to dive into this verse just a little bit because it's, from what I've studied, this is a very difficult uh, verse to be able to translate. Um, The different words for this gentle spirit is a reasonableness, be known to all men, or a fairness, or moderation, or graciousness. And my my favorite, uh, a generous spirit, be known to all men, the Lord is near. I think the idea behind this is letting go of selfish mentality of the look out for yourself first. The wisdom of the world. It's giving that up. Where you're not looking at yourself and your own security, your own interests. It's a surrender of self to give fairly, generously, and abundantly even of what you have and even your own livelihood. Now this second part of the verse is very interesting, and this can really go, go two different ways here. The Lord is near, or at hand, I think, is, is the version that Brandon read from. Either you have held back, and you have not been gracious, you have not been generous, you have not been fair, and you're dealing with other people. The Lord being near would be something pretty scary. Because you've decided, I'm going to look out for myself. I'm putting my security, my faith, my trust in the things that I have rather than obeying God. And the Lord being at hand is very scary, and rightfully so. Because we have pushed God's will away And the thought of him being near is frightening. Or, you have given generously. You have given freely. Um, You've given fairly. And the Lord being near would actually be a comfort. Because what you see very often in the Bible is, especially the, the beginning of Acts, I love 
the, the description of the saints in the beginning of Acts where they all uh, had, had one bank. They all, all had all things in common was the, the term it used. Um, and none were in want. Where everyone is so concerned about the, the welfare of each other that they give up anything that they have, everything that they have. Even when they don't have it, they give. That's the attitude that is described here. And what can happen is in the world's mind, you can afford something when you have an excess of what you need. Where, okay, I have what I need to be able to to provide for myself, and then I have a little extra so I can give that away, and that's okay. That's not the generosity that God describes. The generosity God describes is that you give everything that you have. And what that's going to do is leave you in want. I think that's accurate. You will be in want when you follow God's description of the church and give everything you have. But the Lord is near. And when you are in need, the Lord is near to give you aid. He will continue to give and provide you with more so that you're able to continue to be generous, to continue to be gracious uh, in the way that God is. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your generous spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So that's really the, the meat of, of chapter 4. And then the second half of chapter 4 um, Paul gives very practical examples of the blessings of generosity and faith. So let's get into that. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 14, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am, I know how to get along in, with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having an abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my afflictions. Nothing Paul ever does or says is ever just by accident or extra information. There's always so much that you're able to just pull out of everything. 
And here we have an insight to Paul's everyday, regular circumstance. Paul preaches and spreads the word of Christ. That's what he does. Um, It doesn't matter what he gets from it. Any help he receives is simply an aid to that purpose. It is not a career. It's something that he does whether he got money from it or not. He was determined. He knows how to live by humble means. He knows what going hungry is like. He knows what suffering needs are like and what affliction is. He knows these things. He also knows how to live in prosperity. He knows what, what being filled is and having an abundance. But what's so encouraging about this is that neither of these really matter. Because Christ is his strength. Christ is his sustenance. And any needs on his part that are met by the generosity of others was a blessing for all. It was an opportunity for those to become more like Christ. You see Paul's joy in this. Verse five or 15. <clears throat> you yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. Okay, so just, just think about this verse for a second. That after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. Um, The Christians in Jerusalem were struggling at this time um, that he is referring to because of a very severe famine. And so Paul wrote a lot of letters, um, and we, we recognize these um, kind, of, kind of side notes of, of him telling these churches to lay aside on the first day of the week Um, so that there wouldn't be any gathering when he came, and that they should send someone trustworthy to be able to escort the money with him to be able to relieve the brethren and Jerusalem. And in Macedonia, the Philippians alone gave. Now, I want us to just take a quick little side note here to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, which says, Now, brethren, and this is still Paul speaking to the Corinthians, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches of Macedonia. Now remember, only the Philippians were the church of Macedonia that that shared. And so this is talking about the Philippians. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality or generosity. For I testify that according to their ability... And beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So something that I wanted to bring out here about the Philippians is that they were struggling. It says in... in, a uh, great ordeal of affliction, uh, or their abundance of joy, and their deep poverty 
overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. That they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability. They gave of their own free will, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the supports of the saints. I just, I really love the, the fellowship of Christians in this passage that the Philippians heard that there was a need and that saints were struggling and they begged Paul to be able to, to help in whatever way they could. It said the Philippians didn't have much. They were in poverty and they gave. They gave more than what they could afford. And I think the, the main purpose behind this, or the reason behind this, is that not as we have expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Do you think them giving of what they had and more than what they could afford was a difficult decision for them? I don't think so. Because the generosity that they showed was a byproduct of where their heart was already devoted to. They were already devoted to God. They were already devoted to Paul. They were already devoted to these brethren who they heard about. And so they longed to help. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> So verse 16 says that they sent a gift more than once for Paul's needs. There's, there's two different aspects in, in this second half of this chapter of selflessness. You first have uh, the giver, the Philippians, who are longing to give to Paul and, and eager to, to help him be able to spread the word, be able to, to spread the gospel. Um, and giving everything they have freely and, and joyfully. And then you also have the recipient, Paul, who is grateful. But the main thing that he's talking about here is the spiritual benefit, the maturity that they have to be a blessing they should receive for their generosity. Um, there were... There were a few churches that Paul would not accept funds from. He would not accept funds 
from the Corinthians because their maturity was wrong, was off, and they would have become arrogant in it. The, the trust that Paul had in the Philippians to be able to allow them to help him because he knew it is, it is more blessed... It is a greater blessing to give than to receive. Um, Paul understood that, and Paul was eager to allow them to give because it is a benefit on their or for their part. Because Paul's going to do what Paul does, no matter what. Something that I want to be able to see is that this is the way the church is. This is what God has designed. His body of people, and there's only one church in the Bible, his body of people to be able to be with each other. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. It is this mentality that manifests itself here in chapter 4. That they are all seeking for the benefit of each other because they've already given themselves to each other. They've already given themselves fully to God. Whatever it takes. And if you're still stuck on the money aspect of this chapter, you're missing it. Because if you're not willing to give money, that's a small thing. We need to be willing to give our time, our energy, our attention, and our focus for the needs of each other. Like I said, in in giving money, that's a small thing. And that's a byproduct of what a church is already focused on. The way that God has designed the church. And it's it's no wonder in verse 20, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the way... God has designed his people to be. They're selfless. They're giving. They give everything they have and they trust in God to be able to provide for them, not their jobs. God is the provider. I want us to go just a little bit further just to be able to look at something really cool. Um, In Philippians chapter 4, verse 21 Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This camaraderie, this family that is being described in Philippians chapter 4 is something that is, is a really deep bond. It's a relationship and a brotherhood that we have Uh, In Christ, that is a universal bond between Christians. Um, I want us to look at verse 22. It says, All the saints greet you, especially those of of Caesar's household. This Caesar at this time is Caesar Nero. Um, 
He's a psychopath. He is a bad guy. Um, he's the one that, that burnt down half of Rome and then blamed the Christians on it. He was the one that decided it'd be fun to put Christians in a coliseum with lions. He would burn Christians on torches in his gardens. He was very strongly opposed to Christianity. There are brethren in Caesar's household that would risk being exposed to this tyrant to be able to send a greeting of encouragement to the Philippians. Whether they were a slave or free man, they were in Caesar's household. And they wanted to send their greeting, their encouragement to the Philippians at any cost. Because they gave themselves first to Christ, first to the Lord. And then whatever we can do for the benefit of the brethren is not a decision. I started this sermon talking about uh, anxiety, and I've ended it in talking about uh, generosity and brotherly love. But the anxiety being pulled in different directions. In the daily life of a Christian, we are pulled in different directions. We always have the decisions and the choices to make of what are we going to do. Are we going to do what we want or what God wants from us? Are we going to allow worries of the world to distract us? Are we going to allow deceitfulness of riches to blind us to trust in our own jobs and our income that we make? Are we going to allow the desires for other things to fill our hearts and our minds? And are we going to store up treasures for ourselves here on earth? That, of course, is a reference to the Sermon on the Mount where he describes moth and, and rust destroying everything that is here on earth. Or are we going to focus on God and his will for us? Are we going to put our trust in God as our provider that gives us all that we need? Are we going to forsake our wants for the aid of the building up the body of Christ to be able to help and encourage the saints at whatever cost? God will always give us the means to be able to be generous to each other. And if we don't have that, it may be our perspective that needs to change, not our income. Maybe we're spending too much time working rather than being with the brethren. Maybe we're spending things where they ought not be. We need to be focused and devoted solely to God and then to one another for the building up of his people. I hope this is encouraging, um, and I hope it, at the very least, is able to provoke your thoughts further. Um, read the book of Philippians. It's an amazing and encouraging book. 
um, and it is a, a rich treasure house. Um, and if you're able to uh, devote time to it, like I've said, I've adopted it when I first became a Christian uh, about 11 years ago, and I'm still blown away and, and learn all sorts of, of new things in it. Um, we need to love his word and to be able to follow it at all costs. Give yourselves to, to God. If there's anything we can do to be able to help, uh, you can come forward now as we stand and sing the song.